folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are at the last of our top 40 passages. On the docket today, Revelation 7, top 40 text, number 40. Can you believe it? What a journey. 40 weeks, I guess. Nice little biblical number two, right? 40 days, 40 years, all these things. I don't know what to say. I'd like to take a moment and thank all my fans. No, it sounds kind of pompous. But at the same time, uh, I do appreciate very much the feedback that I've received over the over the course of doing these, thank you so much. It means a lot to me. Can't tell you how much uh, it means to hear from you guys. So thank you for that. We're going to wrap it up here and then move on to the next thing. So Revelation 7, so last book of the Bible. I just had to do something from Revelation, of course, for this top 40. And I think of the 22 chapters of Revelation, chapter 7 is probably the most popular. Think All Saints Day. Perhaps you've heard this before. Who are these dressed in white robes from wherever they come? These are the ones who've washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb, and so on. We'll talk about this one. This is the whole chapter, so I'm going to jump right in. We have plenty to do, uh, and it re- but it's a, it's a beauty. And it reads as follows. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to them, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. 
and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All righty. So there we have the text of Revelation chapter 7. It's a fascinating book. Lots to say, I guess, even by way of intro. Revelation, uh, literally apocalypse. It's the first word of the entire book in Greek, apocalypse. It means an uncovering or an unveiling, which is to say and imply, I guess, it's not that Revelation is like an afterthought or that it wasn't uh, in existence and then God thought, you know, a good end to the Bible would be this stuff. No, it is an unveiling. It's an un, uh, a revealing of what is always there. It's the eternal state, you might say. Uh, these eternal realities, they're not always visible in the way that we would like to see them perhaps, but it's always there. It's not that, you know, here's some new stuff. It's an unveiling of the eternal stuff that's always been. That's what makes it eternal. Okay. It's actually interesting. That's the only place in the whole book the word apocalypse comes, just the very first word of it. Um, so in Revelation, what else do you get? I think Revelation, three big things to understanding Revelation. One is that it is this unveiling. You have to keep that in mind. Two, it's also a prophecy. It's told, we're told that in the third verse. It's a prophecy. It deals with, um, it has words that will, will be pressing forward to their final fulfillment. And three, it is a letter. It's an epistle. John to the seven churches of Asia, right? Philadelphia and Sardis and Laodicea and so on. The whole seven you can see and read about in, two in chapters two and three. I think a big part of Revelation, how you understand, you got to balance all three. It's an unveiling, it's a prophecy, and it's a, it's an epistle. If you isolate one of those at the expense of the other two, then you're going to run into all sorts of problems. For example, if you just are all about the prophecy thing, then you might forget that it's also a letter to the church right here, right now, or an unveiling of the things that are present tense. If you just think it's prophecy, well, you might find yourself thinking, well, this is end of the world stuff. Like, let's get a timeline and predict what year the end of the world will be and all those sorts of things. Um, a good way to illustrate this is chapter 7, just this kind of combo of present tense but also prophecy but also um, an unveiling of the reality as it is. Okay, There are lots of uh, what series of sevens in Revelation, and often the in between the six and the, so seven seals, for example, uh, you can read about those chapters four, five, six. Um, there are seven trumpets, there are seven bulls of wrath, all kinds of sevens. So often in Revelation, there's an interlude in between the sixth and the seventh of something. And Revelation chapter seven is like one mega interlude in between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. The end of chapter six is who can stand because all these seals are being busted off the scroll that the lamb is opening up for us. And before the seventh seal is who can stand? Well, I'll tell you who can stand. The peeps of Revelation 7 that we just read. In fact, notice the play on seal. There's a scroll that is sealed. Same word in Greek, English too, right? This, the scroll is sealed. Who can stand when these things are when these seals are broken, the ones who can stand when the seals are broken are the ones who are sealed with the mark of the living God on their foreheads. Okay. So John sees four angels stand. There's a lot here. We can't do every detail, but I'll do the best here. Um, 
Who can stand? Well, chapter 7 will tell us before that seventh seal comes off. Four angels standing at the four corners, holding back four winds. There are lots of, four, lots of numbers in general in Revelation. When you get the fours, you get this all-encompassing, cosmic, global, northeast, southwest kind of spread. So four angels, four corners, four winds is on every single direction. It's about to blow. Think like white-knuckledly holding on to these winds, these four angels holding back these four winds. It's about to go any second. Destruction is coming. We might Well, all things are moving along as they were throughout the, the history of the world. You know, Second Peter, when's this end coming? I thought it was supposed to be like end times and stuff. Everything's just cruising along. Well, don't let, you know, the 6 o'clock news deceive you or whatever. This is, it's about to blow, Revelation tells us. And then I saw another angel rising from the, uh, ascending from the rising of the sun, which is kind of cool. A lot of, ah, man, Revelation, it's either this or that. In Revelation, there's a lot of ascending from the something. The beast, the dragon, they, they ascend from the abyss. The plagues come from, they move up or ascend from the, from the abyss. On the other hand, there's a different ascension. There's a rising up. There's a resurrection on the other side. And that is um, uh, the rising up from the sun, the direction of the east, the resurrection language. It's the word for resurrection uh, here, this rising up. And it's this fifth angel that sounds like what? I don't know. You can learn a lot about the angels just on this first few. Ver- you have four angels who are doing this, but you have a fifth who does this. They each have their, even in the sinless realms, there's rank, there's order, there's authority. Because this fifth angel, it sounds pretty Christ-like, going up from the rising of the sun. There's so many angels in Revelation that are portrayed in very Christ-like ways. So much so that you get like, I don't know, chapter 10, for example, it sure sounds like this is the angel of the Lord, like the pre-incarnate Christ, called an angel, but much more than an angel. Well, anyway, we have this rising from the sun angel calls out uh, with the seal of the living God. So what is a seal? This angel apparently gets this what this stamp this mark permanent uh marker <laughs> permanent marker a mark uh, a permanent sealing call that with a loud voice to the four angels so again uh the interaction of these angels here who had given power to harm earth and sea do not harm the earth or sea or trees until we have sealed the servants of our god on their foreheads okay um kind of an interesting thing doesn't god just know what's in my heart why do we have to be sealed? And on the forehead, too, right? God loves these physical, tangible markers. Water, bread, wine. He loves this. I mean, a seal, it's a physical thing. Also, forehead, that's a bodily part. Can't you just, like, bring out a—I mean, one thing is just don't let this go until hearts are converted in spiritual, quiet ways, Right Or another thing is, okay, maybe you want something physical, tangible, but just make it like a book, and you write in it the ones you see converted, believing in, in Christ, you know, that kind of thing. This is a seal. This is something that is, is physical, tangible, and it's going to make contact, physical contact with believers. Think about receive the, the sign of the cross, both upon the forehead and upon the heart, to mark you as one sealed redeemed by Christ the crucified. Sounds very baptismal, doesn't it? This whole text is baptismal. The foreheads, 
I mean, Ash Wednesday, right? We still do this on the forehead, the cross, baptism on the on the forehead. This whole text, that, what do we have? White garments. We still have baptisms. Put that baby in a white garment. Sign of the cross on the forehead, right? We still have this. There's water mentioned later on, springs to living water. It's a very baptismal kind of thing. That's not just a coincidence. So we want this physical contact. This is how God works with his word and sacraments, water, bread, wine. We want physical contact with these peeps. Seal them on the foreheads. And I heard the number of sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Okay, and then we go through the 12,000 from each tribe. Lots to say here. First things first. Does this mean that only 144,000 people are in heaven? No. Okay, you get this like idea floating around, maybe, uh, you know, Jehovah's Witness kind of thing. All right. Um, There's something, the thing is, you get the 144, and then immediately after is what? A great multitude that no one could number. And so, well, which one is it? Is it numbered or is it not numbered? And it's a both and. There's something about this 144 that's telling us, like this 144 is telling us something about the company of heaven. God's redeemed, God's sealed peeps. There's also something that this countless multitude is showing us about this same group. Okay, so what's the 144? Well, first of all, you have this 12 by 12 thing going on all over the place. Do you really have to tell me with all these lines, 12 lines at 12,000, 12,000, 12? You heard it as I read. That's a lot of 12s. Well, 12, of course, gets us thinking about what? 12 disciples, 12 tribes, 12 Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, you'll see this, 12 apostles, 12 prophets later on for the the gates of Jerusalem. Um, 12 is a very select, chosen, special number. It means uh, specially chosen by God. No merit or worthiness in me, as Luther's catechism puts it, but specially chosen by God. There's something, this 144, it has a lot of emphasis on this select chosen stuff, okay? Um, And then also, well, if you just look carefully at these tribes, something's way off. I mean, first of all, Judah is mentioned first. He's not the oldest. Reuben's the oldest, but Judah's mentioned first. It's all out of order, but hey, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the Messiah is from the tribe of Judah. This list is a chosen select group, But it's also selected or chosen in the one who comes from Judah. This list is defined by the one who comes from Judah. They have their identity from the one who comes from Judah. Notice also there's some weird things like Dan's not in there, Ephraim's not in there. Um, Some have thought that's because, you know, Dan kind of went his own way. In the book of Judges, they fell into idolatry. And so maybe this is a purged list, a purified list. Levi's also in there, which is kind of weird because usually he's... Not in there. Don't number Levi in this because he's the priest and reserving for me. But this is also a priestly list. And so this 144 tells us something about this company of believers. They're select, chosen in Christ, purified, priestly. They're all known, they're all numbered. I mean, even the hairs of your head are numbered. So God knows you individually, loves you individually. Even the hairs are numbered. He knows you. He loves you. He seals you on your forehead. He knows when your pew is empty at church. You're the one out of the the hundred. He leaves the 99. He's like this 
collector. I've got 99 out of 100 stamps. I got I you have 99. I have to have that last one. I have to have that last one. That's what we are. At the same time, we have this countless multitude. How do the two relate? Um, we'll talk about that real soon, right after our break. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcast, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Revelation chapter 7. What a doozy of a text. Quite fascinating. I guess one thing, I didn't say this about the foreheads earlier, came to mind, and that is later on in the book of Revelation. It's kind of interesting here. It just says, seal them on the foreheads. Later on in Revelation, we'll learn uh, chapter 14, verse 1, what goes on the forehead. It's the name of Christ. And God on the forehead. It's a divine name. Again, it's very baptismal. You've been named. You've been sealed. Your identity is in Christ, first and foremost. In this age of identity confusion, it's what's most fundamental about who I am. Well, what's been given to you from above? Been sealed on the forehead with this name. That's who you are. Now, very important. Did you notice anything different between the 144 and the countless multitude? Well, yeah, I mean 144 and countless. But notice John hears the number 144,000. But after this, verse 9, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number. John hears the number of the redeemed, 144,000. Okay, So when he turns to look, you expect to see 144. He turns to look, and what does he see? He sees the full group. The 144, this is huge in Revelation, the difference between hearing and seeing. In chapter 5, John hears the lion from the tribe of Judah. Okay, so you think power and so on, right? And then he turns and sees a slaughtered lamb a bloody lamb, lamb slain from the foundation of the world, okay? This is the life of the church. This is our life as Christians. We hear, behold, I will be with you. 
even to the ends of the age, we see family problems, empty pews, and stuff on the 6 o'clock news, right? This is how we, we, we live by the promise. We live by the word. Soon our eyes will see. We've not yet seen what will be revealed to us, but we will be, we'll see him as he is. We will, now we see dimly as in a mirror, Paul says, but one day we'll see the full gig. This is what happens with John. He hears 144. He sees, oh, it's not just literally 144, but the 144 does tell us something about this group. It's a new Israel. It's a select chosen Israel. It's chosen by the one who comes from Judah. It's really a countless multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Who can stand? The ones who have been baptized, they can stand. And they stand before the throne and before the Lamb. Notice there's throne and Lamb there. Okay, so John writes, there's one on the throne and there's the Lamb. I'm going to talk about this later, but just, just note that. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Okay, let's do that first. And that is, we are first told of their posture, that they're standing before this throne. And we're also told first what they're clothed with before we're told what they said. This is hugely important for Revelation. We are first told of the clothing before we're told of anything else. Why? Because that is available to you right now in the divine service. Baptism gives you this white robe. The thing about revelation and clothing is that it's a both end. It's like a down the road thing. If you stay faithful, I'll give you a white garment. We heard that in chapter three, which is great. But at the same time, Wash your garments right now, we also hear. As in, you already have the garment right now. Wash the thing. Stay. I counsel you to buy from me white garments, I'll tell one of the churches. The thing that we're, why we're told clothing first is that this is yeah, something true of this heavenly company, but at the same time, it's something available to you right now. And so you're already included in this. Clothed in white robes, hey, wait, we have those right now. And palm branches, hey, wait, Palm Sunday, don't we use those palm branches on Palm Sunday? We still do in churches all over the place. Palm branches, they use those what in the wilderness with tabernacles for the, the festival of booths. Um, it's a pilgrimage thing. These peeps have been through their wilderness journey, you might say. They made it through. Palm branches, they're victorious. Throughout the suffering, um, it's, I mean, Christ himself, right? Palm Sunday, they have palm branches. It's, this group has endured their, they came out victorious through their pilgrimage, through suffering and, and uh, being modeled after Christ. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Notice it's like, wait the one who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne and around the elders, the four living creatures, fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is huge. First things first, the the group, the heavenly company. So again, they, both sides, it's like two sides of the same coin. Both the 144 and this Every tribe, every nation, countless multitude tell us something about this heavenly company. It is a select chosen in Christ, new Israel, but at the same time, it's this countless, all tribe, nation, they're clothed, they're coming out victorious, 
they sing about salvation, which is what the Lord has done for them. They could be singing about how magnificent and bright the clouds are in heaven or whatever. They're singing about what God has done for his people to win them back, to be with them, to be with us. Salvation belongs to our God. So this should kind of inform our worship a little bit. Where in our worship are we, you know, we, this is, Luther would say, this is the proper subject matter of theology. Man is sinner and God the justifier of sinful man. What he's doing to, to bring us back. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice what happens. All the angels and the elders and the four living creatures, which were introduced earlier in the book, they stand for like the whole created order. Everything. This is the only time in the whole book where you get this lay, uh, the angels all over revelation, but this is the only time in the whole book where you get all the angels, all the angels and the elders There are 24 of them. They stand for the, the company of the redeemed. There's like 12 and 12 apostles and tribes. It's kind of like the old Testament, new Testament. They stand for, for all the redeemed, all of them in response Say amen. That's what it means to say amen. You're you're seconding, you're saying, let it be so, to something that has been said. The whole heavenly company responds to the redeemed. When they start up a divine service, the entire company of heaven responds. Worship is this heaven and earth thing. It's antiphonal. It's back and forth. Cue up a divine service and you'll get the entire company of heaven in response. Amen. What you said. Blessing. We're with this. We're in this together, by the way, when we worship. No one worships alone. And when earth worships, heaven responds. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, power, honor, might be to our God forever and ever. Then one of the elders addressed me. That's John saying. Notice one of the elders who's, you know, a fellow redeemed. John, I think, this is a beautiful question. Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. (laughs) That's a great response, isn't it? I think you know the answer to this. I love how it's one of the elders. This is another one of the redeemed saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I love when you kind of answer your own question. Who are these clothed in white robes from where have they come? So there are two questions. Why does he ask these questions? Especially if he already knows the answer. Who are these and from where have they come? Both identity and from where have they come? Why is he asking these? Notice he's also focusing on the clothed and white robes. The question to John is the question to the church of every age. Don't ever forget who these are and from where they from uh, where they've come. John so often, and this is another bigger point for Revelation, stands for the church all the way from the first chapter. He's representative of the church. These questions are for the church. of Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? Identity, remember what you've been clothed in. Okay, that's most fundamental about who you are. And from where have you come? They've come out of the great tribulation. They've come out of the mess we're in right now. Remember this, church of all ages, that these peeps, this group, it's you. It's you. It's them, but it's you. You have been clothed in white robes, and you are right now in this very moment coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There is this 
you have been given this robe in baptism and it's whiteness its purity is washed by the blood of the lamb which is totally available to us right here right now that's why these terms are used baptism lord's supper strengthen preserve in the one true faith unto everlasting life who are these peeps well they have white robes and they've been washing the blood of the lamb good for them wait a minute we have white robes and we can wash them in the blood of the lambs oh my it's us too Therefore they are before the throne of God, serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Notice what happens here. Um, They've washed their robes. They are before, (laughs) this is a beauty. They are before the throne of God, present tense. He who sits will shelter them, future tense. Uh, They have washed and made them white, past tense. This is past, present, and future. All together. When John sees this heavenly company, he sees believers of all times and places. He sees Abe. He sees David. He sees Peter and Paul. He sees Martin Luther. He sees you and me. He sees, Lord willing, our great-great-grandkids. Past, present, future. But God is not bothered by time as we are. Past, present, future. They serve him day and night in his temple. Um, literally serve as in like liturgy. Uh, kind of kind of word you might say there. He will shelter them with his presence. Literally tent them. The same word that's used in John 1. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Tented among us. Sheltered us. Same word that's here. Wait a minute. We have that word made flesh tabernacling among us available to us right now. Body and blood, baptism. Well, that's also a heavenly reality. Okay, so this already this this is the one church that lives in heaven and earth at the same time. By means of the divine service and what's available to us there. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They'll hunger no more nor thirst anymore. The sun won't strike them any scorching heat. This is a very physical, bodily kind of focus, right? Hunger is a thing of the belly. Thirst, right? Eating and drinking. Are you saying this is bodily stuff? This is physical stuff. Sun striking. That's like skin and feeling heat. That's flesh and blood kind of stuff. The lamb in the midst of the throne. Notice what happens. Why I kept saying wait for all those other ones. The lamb in the midst of the throne. Hey, wait a minute. John does this. It's a classic move where he's like, the one on the throne and the lamb. The one on the throne and the lamb. And all of a sudden he'll just do this. The lamb in the midst of the throne. Wait a minute. How many people are on this throne? The lamb is one with the one who is on the throne. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll guide them to springs of living water. Again, the baptismal water. That's, a, again, a thirst thing. And wipe every tear from their eyes. Like, can you imagine that? God wiping your tear from your eyes. That's a very physical, bodily connection. Wiping away your tears from your eyes. Addressing your mourning, your pain, your affliction, your suffering. Very personal, bodily care forever and ever. It's a beautiful passage. We're at time, so I'm going to have to wrap it up there. Uh, But what a beautiful passage of what this company of heaven is all about. 
it's the one church that lives in heaven and on earth at the same time. We, as this one church, both have, whether on the earthly side, the church uh, militant, or on the heavenly side, the church triumphant. Sometimes you hear that distinction. The white robes, the clothing, the blood, the consolation available to us uh, all the same. Praise be to God for that. Hey, that's all the time we have for this session, so praise be to God for our our top 40 tech study as well, and praise him for uh, your listening and your your focus and feedback and so on along the way. So thanks so much for that. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian Gurman, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.